We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. We continue this letter, and today we actually have the privilege of finishing it. As Paul is writing to Timothy, he's giving him instructions for a pastor. And, you know, it's imperative that leaders and pastors know these things and in the deepest parts of their heart. But, of course, it's relevant for all of us. Number one, you guys got to make sure your pastor is living up to these things because there's a lot of guys out there that are not really living the way that God wants them to live. They're not really... uh, called maybe or committed for the right reason and so yeah that's part of it you make sure your leaders are following the pages and dictates of the scriptures but also I think just going through these things you can't be a minister of God unless you're a man of God and uh, and for all of us here we know that's our calling men men a man of God is a great place for a Christian to aspire to be, as long as well as a woman of God. You know, it's so beautiful when you see a godly woman. And so all these things, I think, we take to heart. And you watch what God does, man. He'll blow you away. He takes people that were so selfish, and he makes them loving. He takes people who were so, you know, lost. And he not only finds them, but he uses them to lead others. It's amazing what God does when you let him. You know, maybe you're here today. I always tell people, because second service is usually the sinners. They usually come to the, the second service. First service, man, they're like, you know, generally speaking, they're more right on. No, I'm just, <laughs> you know, but I, I'm just messing with you. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of different families represented here. There's a lot of different people that are represented here. People maybe struggling with alcohol or, or, or crystal meth or pornography or sex or you know, they're just maybe you haven't gone to church in a long time, and and you're here, um, but you're not here, you know, for uh, a religious activity. You're here for God to touch your life. He loves you, man. He keeps this world spinning. You ever think about that? He keeps the world spinning. He keeps the sun shining. I mean, all the things that he does. He he gives us air we breathe. The birds are singing. Our hearts are beating, and all that, you guys, is because of his love and the plan he has for your life. He has plans for your life. We're going to see that today, that, you know, he saves you. He wants you to go to heaven. It's going to be amazing. You guys ever think about heaven? Heaven is not just a destination. It's a motivation. There'll be no more dental floss. There'll be no more, you know, deodorant, man. Uh, There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain. Heaven is going to be amazing, you know? No traffic, nothing, right? But it's not just heaven when we die. It's heaven while we live. It's an amazing life that God has for you and your wife and your kids and your grandkids and your friends and how he wants to use your life to reach people and pull them out of the pit that they're in on that slippery slope that they're sliding straight to hell. He wants to use your life. And when you know, we're living in days where the church is not the church like the way it should be. And so... You know, I just pray we wouldn't miss this opportunity. Now, we're here, we're studying his word, and I pray that God would bless you. Today, as we go through, we're going to see four things. If I can just give you this, if you're writing notes. Number one, the running for God. 
running for God. Man, I pray we would know that, verses 11 through 12. Number two, the return of God, how the Lord is coming soon and very soon. Number three, the, the rich for God, how you know God wants us to use our riches for his glory. And then number four is the responsibility to God. And these are things that pastors have. These are things that we all have. We have our responsibilities. But we begin here in verse 11. He says, but you. Now he's making a contrast because he's just talking about how some people are, are, uh, are, are, are living their life for the love of money. So it's about riches. And now he makes a contrast. He says, but you, O man of God, Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so he begins, first of all, with this running for God. And he addresses the, the man of God. It's kind of cool, man, the way that he calls Timothy a man of God. You know, Timothy was his uh, protege. Paul was his mentor. Uh, and, and now he is addressing his son. His son as a man of God. And I, I think that's cool. I don't think it was something that he did lightly. As he's getting ready to pass the baton to Timothy, man, I think he shares words of encouragement to him. To, to be called a man of God is a, a, a really... Um, revealing and wonderful thing. I mean, imagine if God called you man of God or you woman of God. You know, we know we read the Bible. Moses was called a man of God frequently. Samuel was called a man of God. David, Elijah, Elisha. Uh, There were others. We don't know their name. Man of God. Timothy, the only guy in the New Testament called a man of God. And then over in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, in one sense he says we're all you know, capable of being a man of God if we know the word of God. That's the key. And as we go through here, Paul here addresses him as the man of God. And he tells him this in verse 11, You, O man of God, contrary, I want you to flee these things and pursue these things. Paul instructs Timothy to not simply get away, but to run away. And there is a difference, right? There is a difference. So you start distancing yourself from something, and you know, maybe you're walking away. But have you ever been in a situation where you literally had to flee? You had to run away? And for some of you here, you are facing things that will kill you. You are facing things that will destroy you forever and ever. And God is saying to you, don't just, you know, okay, uh, I guess I'll... No, run. Run away. We have to have this in our heart, you guys, because you got to, you know, when we, the only time we would ever really have this situation in our heart is if we understood the danger that we're in. And that's where the enemy is just, he's so brilliant in his deceptive ways. He tries to mask you of the danger that's ahead of you. You're choosing your own life and you think that you're going to like it. You know, you're, you're going to hate it. You are going to lose. You're going to be, man, you are going to be pulverized. The Lord told Satan, I mean, Satan 
told the Lord, I'm asking for this guy Peter that I may sift him as wheat. I'm going to thrash his life. And so some people, that's no big deal. Ain't no thing. I'm just going to do my own thing. You don't realize how dangerous it is. And then some people, they do it with eyes wide open. They know exactly what they're doing, and they still do it. Well, let me tell you something. When you do it with eyes wide open, it's even going to be worse for you. And so he says, Timothy, these riches, a lot of these pastors, they're in it for the money. They're in it for the wrong reason. You run, run, man of God, run from these things. Do it now. Do it immediately and do it with all your heart. Do it with all your passion, right? He says, run away. Not just get away, flee. Flee the love of money. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. You know, he's teaching Timothy and us, listen, it's not about gold. It's all about God. It's not about cash. It's all about character. It's not about the material things you can get. It's about the material you're made of. What are you made of? What kind of man are you? What kind of woman are you? What are you made of? That's it? He says, no. It's, it's who you, you are. What you do will be based on who you are. So you run from these things and run to God. Run to God. When you do that, man, God will bless your life. Paul tells Timothy and us to run away from the love of money and all those things that will take us down and run to the love of God, even the likeness of God. And he mentions some things right here. And although I don't think it's an exhaustive list, I think there are things that we can kind of you know, check on, he says in verse 11, you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness. That's the first thing he mentions. And you know, righteousness, it means to be right in God's sight, right? And that's all that matters. I mean, his imputed righteousness to us, when we become a Christian, he puts his righteousness into our account. But then undoubtedly it's more than that because Timothy is already a Christian. And so they're still running to do, and there's still righteousness to, to have. And what that's called is the imparted righteousness. And what he's saying to him is, listen, you know, you place your faith in Christ and you get the imputed righteousness, but now what I want you to do is I want you to have the righteousness in which you're more like me, right? And, you know, um, the only way I can do what's right is if I know what's right to do. And as I learn my Bible... Then I learn what's right to do. Now I have the capacity to do what's right. But you still have to connect the dots and do what's right. Not only do what's right, but be right in his sight. And then you're going to have this thing that the Proverbs talks about frequency, frequently, the righteous man. You become a righteous man. Not a self-righteous man, but a righteous man. God sees you and you're, and you're a blessing to him. And that's why James says... The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. See, and so he's saying, run away from the love of money. Run away from the love of yourself. Run away from all those other loves and run to the true love, God's love. Run to God and, and pursue his character, things like like righteousness and, and godliness. And the Greek word right here refers to someone who's reverent and respectful towards God. And, and we, really, we really need that, that attitude. You know, I think a lot of times you know, we don't have it. 
You know, we as Calvary Chapelites, uh, we don't make you guys dress up and wear suits. Although sometimes, you know, I think it would be nice. But we know that God doesn't look at the outside, right? God looks at the heart. But still, there's something about, you know, wearing a nice, to- uh, nice suit and clothes. And you're like, oh, you're like, I'm going to the house of the Lord, you know? Um, but um, it's just that, that, that reverence. I mean, this doesn't look like a church. I mean... We've still got like mudding to do and drywall and, you know, we've got to put up the stained glass windows next week. No, I'm just joking. We're not going to do that, you know. But it's still the house. I mean, when we get together like this, this is the house of the Lord. This is the church of the living God. The holy, holy, holy God is here. And, And we have that in our heart. We live that in our life. He says, man, this is pursue these things, righteousness, godliness, faith, you know, and that, that faith is the true and total trust in God, thoroughly convinced in the validity of his word when you really believe. You know, I really believe the Bible. I trust totally in God, not just in my brain, but in my heart, by faith, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith. They did these things that were so great. By faith, right? By faith we know the judgment of God. By faith we know the glory of God. We know heaven. We know hell. We know the reality of the spiritual war that we're in. By faith we know that no matter what situation I'm in, God can move that mountain. By faith I know that if I keep my eyes on Jesus, I can walk on water because really in this world, unless you walk on water, you're not going to make it. If you're walking just like a, a normal, you know, natural American walk, then you're not, you're, you're not experiencing the life that God wants you to live. The Bible says 2 Corinthians 5-7, we walk by faith. And not by sight, not by feelings, not by emotions, but by convictions. And convictions are not just what we hold. Convictions are what hold us. And so he's saying, Timothy, run away from that because it is dangerous. It is eternally dangerous. And run to God and ask the Lord to give you the grace to be a man of righteousness and godliness and faith. The Bible says in Romans 10:17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so the more you know the Bible, the more you have the Bible in your heart, the more you have to believe in, the bigger, stronger platform you can stand on. That's why it's so important to study the Bible. Read it. Read it. Read it. What are you doing? Why are you watching so much television? One day we should have like a television drive. Everybody turns it in their televisions. Huh? Keep yourself accountable, man. I'm telling you, man, an hour, an hour a week just, or in a day, just turn off the television and start reading your Bible. Oh, but I've got all these other books. Cool. Books are cool, but they're nothing like the Bible. And I, and I you know, just getting through and, and just saturating yourself in the Scriptures and pastor always used to tell me, this book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this book. And so, by faith, you're struggling. What do I do? What do I do? I went to church. That guy's kind of weird. Okay, what do I do, you know? And then you just like open up your Bible, and there you are, and you're having marital struggles. You're, you know, and a lot of 
people do nowadays? Tell you what, hubby, get that Bible, open it up and say, sweetheart, let's read. You know, and you don't have to give her lessons in Greek or Hebrew. You don't, man. You just read the Bible with her. And you want to know what happens? I mean, I believe God will then teach you objective truths and stuff, but I just think opening it up and just saturating it and just planning in your heart that you won't sin against him, he will honor that. Because that's what we need to be a godly husband or wife. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the sword of the Spirit. So faith, it comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And, you know, you just pursue these things. The, the love he mentions next. You know, and we know what love is, right? It's a funny feeling, right? Remember when you first met her? Remember how you felt? That's love, right? Wrong. You think that's love? Then, you know, you're in for a big surprise, man. You know what that is, man? That's uh, like, uh, it's a tweaking of your physical anatomy, man. It's just... It's something that makes you do dumb things. You know, it's not love. Love is something that's saturated over the course of time in which you unconditionally, sacrificially seek someone else's highest good. Their highest good is heaven. If your interest in them is sex, if your interest in them is what can I get out of it, if that's not love. That's lust. That's selfishness. But agape love is what God had for us when he sent his son to die for us. Agape love is what was necessary to be done in order that you and I might be saved. And it's unconditional, you know. You know, if you're loving someone so you can get something, well, I treated them so nice and they didn't even, you know, say hi to me. Well, that's not love. You're like, you just love them because you're a lover. These are the things that we pursue, right? The love. The patience. He mentions right here. And, and this patience is, is not what you might think. You know, this Greek word speaks of steadfastness, constancy. Uh, some translations use the word endurance. Um, NLT uses the word perseverance. In the New Testament, it's the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety to God by even the greatest trials and sufferings of life. It's like Paul the Apostle, when he was going to Jerusalem, he says, you know, I know I am going to experience some crazy trials, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy. It's that type of endurance. It's that type of patience. William Barclay said this Greek word, hupomone, never means the spirit which sits with folded hands and simply bears things, letting experiences of life flow like a tide over it. No, he said, it is victorious endurance. It is unswerving constancy to faith in spite of adversity and suffering. It's the virtue which does not so much accept the experiences of life, but conquers them. You know, because you may think, well, I'm still, yeah, I'm still a Christian. Yeah, you know, I'm still there. No, God says, no, when you went through that trial, you got, you didn't just get out of it. You got everything out of it and you come out stronger. This is what you pursue. I mean, a lot of us here, we go through a lot of things. It can be family struggles. It can be financial struggles. It can be physical struggles. 
you know, and, and whatever. And, you know, you go through it and you just kind of fumble through it and you're like, you know, dog paddling, right? And you're like, man, I still got my head above water. And God says, no, that's not really what I wanted. I mean, I'm glad you're still alive, you know, but I wanted you to walk on water when this is, this is, this is what it was intended for. See, you run away from those things that pull you away from God and you just run to these things. Gentleness. It's the strength of the stallion under the control of the bitten bite of the Bible. You know, mild in temperament, kind and, and tender. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.24, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Any of you guys ever quarrel? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to... Because I know you all would, right? <laughs> Probably. But the, the servant of the Lord... He doesn't quarrel. There's a contrast there. You're, you're, you're gentle to all. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we've got to be good listeners. Okay, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, right? And then before you talk, before you blurt out what the devil put in your heart, you check it with God. Okay, wait a minute. That might not be what God wants me to say. And so you slow down. Next thing you know, you're taught this, that when you get like all ticked off, when you get all angry, that, that the wrath of man, it doesn't do any good. But I want to do good. Then why are you getting angry? Why are you getting all, you know, crazy? You call the cops on you, man, you know? It doesn't do any good. The, the, the servant of the Lord, he's what? He's gentle. See, we have to pursue these things. We have to pray for that type of fruit, crave that type of character. We have to long to be like Jesus. And that word to pursue right here, it literally means to run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing, to chase after, even to hunt after it metaphorically means to seek after, eagerly, to earnestly endeavor, to acquire. You know, and when was the last time you really, uh, seriously, ran as fast as you can? How many of you here can still do that? You're like, I can do it for two seconds. <laughs> but that's kind of what the spiritual uh, illustration is. You're running as fast as you can. You're pursuing. This Greek word right here, it even speaks of persecuting. I mean, from some of us guys right here, maybe you can relate to it. When you're playing football, and the guy's on the other team. He's trying to score that touchdown, and you're right behind him, and you're just chasing him. And just you know that in order to save the, the game, to save the day, to keep the enemy from being victorious, that you've got to somehow chase him down and knock him down, and you've got to run as, with all of your heart. And that's what he's saying, that that's how our spiritual life should be, you know, run away and run to. There's got to be that running for God. There's got to be that running to the battle. Look again in verse 12. He says to fight the good fight, to fight the good fight of faith. See, we're running to God and we're running to the battle, you know, and that's, uh, that's uh, uh, an interesting thing too. I don't know if you ever run to a fight I know David did when he was facing Goliath. No one else was running to, no one else was even, you know, standing, you know, but David, he just knew, you know what? The Lord is with me. 
The Lord God is with me. Why in the world are they allowing his name to be reproached like this? This uncircumcised Philistine thinks he can do damage to God's army? No way. And so that faith allowed him to run to nine-foot-tall Goliath. Because he knew God was on his side, you know. Don't you guys trip out on this on the way the horse, the horses are are able to the cavalry are able to run to the battle? You ever think about that? You guys ever seen the movies where the horses and they they got the you know the spears, the swords? It doesn't matter. The horses are not afraid. The cavalry is not afraid. They run to the battle, and that's what we do. We run to the battle, and we're in a battle. We're in a battle. This country. What's going to happen to our country unless the Lord does a great revival? What's going to happen to the future generations, the future families? I mean, you know, you go on, and sometimes I go to McDonald's. Honestly, it's not just for the food, but it's for the kids that come out of school and you start talking to them about the Lord. They don't know anything about the Lord. They don't know about Jesus. You know, there was a time when you can talk to the young people and you could tell them, come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus because he loves you. You can tell him that. Now you can't even tell him that because I never even started with Jesus. What's going to happen in the future? No convictions. Oh, you know, married, divorce. It's not really a big deal. You know, you, you, you just do until you're done. And, and, you know, so what if this kid doesn't have a dad there in home to raise him. So what? Because you're selfish. Right? I mean, all the kids, all the boys, all the men in prison, 95% of them are simply there because their dads were not there. And so, if you take God out of the equation, you know, these guys, they don't care. The convictions. I mean, how many people... And you would trip out if you understood all the statistics of alcohol. You know, and you're like, okay, I can drink, I can get drunk. Yeah, can your kid get drunk one day? You cool with that? Well, that's the example that you're giving to them, to the next generation. And all the drunk driving, all the suicides, you know, all the fights, all the robberies, all these things, they're all connected to alcohol. It's amazing. You know, 44% of all high schoolers, I mean, of all junior hires, drinking. 77% of all high schoolers, they're already starting to drink. All I'm saying is that there's a battle going on. It's not a battle. Who cares about money? Who cares about, you know, land? I'm talking about lives. I'm talking about souls. I'm talking about the requirement for soldiers. You know, it's not about, well, you know, making my grass green and having a nice white picket fence. It's not about, you know, me having a good time. No, thank God we can enjoy life. But, you know, do you think that's that's all it is for you? If you're not really engaged in the spiritual battle for souls, which are the only thing that are eternal, then you're missing the whole point. God wants to use us as soldiers. He wants us to run to the battle, not just church either, by the way. Well, now my family's saved. I'm cool. Yeah, we got our nice little Christian cubby hole, you know, and we hire Christian plumbers and we have Christian electricians and, you know, we have Christian clothes and we have Christian 
teacups, and we have, I mean, you know, it's just, just crazy. It's like, wait a minute, okay, cool, that's fine, but do you ever, like, think about those who are dying? You know, Steve Camp, he said, some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell, and with everyone I meet, I'll take them the gospel and share it well. Look around you as you hesitate because another soul just fell. Let's run to the battle. And that's what we're in. He says we got to fight the good fight. The Greek word right here literally means to strive and to fight and to labor fervently. It speaks of entering a contest such as the Olympic Games and to contend with adversaries. We read something earlier in 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. You know, I never went to Vietnam. I want to thank you for those of you who, who have gone to Vietnam and you fought for our country. Or, or maybe it was World War you know, II. I don't know. You know, maybe it was Afghanistan or, you know, these conflicts that are taking place. Thank you for fighting for our freedom. And now, you know, there's another war. And just as those wars had their, you know, their, their merits and they had their purpose, this war has this great purpose. And we're all enlisted, the Bible says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You're already enlisted. question is, are you fighting? And we got to fight. You know, I fight the enemy. We have the spiritual enemy. Demons, how do demons fight us? Well, they tempt us. Usually lies, other, other things, you know. But we fight the enemy. Zechariah 10, verse 5, is a, an interesting verse. It says, they shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. And the riders on horses shall be put to shame. And so we fight against our enemy. But who's our biggest enemy? Who's our biggest enemy? Me, right? This knucklehead right here, right? I, and that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 26 and 27, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. You know, you, you know exactly where to run. You're not just running, you know, to run. You're not just, you know, out there. You know exactly. I run with uncertainty. I, I, I don't run that way. I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body. And bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You never reach a point where like, okay, cool, man, now I'm just going to put it in cruise control. No, Paul said, listen, I have to continue to discipline my body. And then literally in the Greek, he talks about giving it uh, 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 a black eye, bruises. Have you ever done that to yourself? <clears throat> Try it right now. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Boom, imagine that, giving yourself a black eye or whatever. And that's weird. I know some people do that and the devil wants you to do that. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about disciplining yourself. You know, um, when we went to the conference recently, we, we found out about this one uh, app. You guys like apps, right? Apps. 
Okay, all right. I know you do. Anyways, this is one app. It's called Covenant Eyes, and we found out about it from a brother over there. And it's so cool because what it does is it takes everywhere you go on your browser, and it sends a report to your beautiful wife. Isn't that cool? Everywhere you go on your browser, man, or your husband, or your kids. Let me tell you something. If you got your kids and they're like full reign on World Wide Web, you are throwing them to the lions. I mean, you, if you don't have some type of accountability or filter, you know, you, you just, I've seen it over many, 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 many examples of individuals who have gone and been caught in that World Wide Web. So what this does is it sends a report. And I'm telling you, CovenantEyes.com, it's amazing, the app and the, just the accountability and everything. And anyways, because the bottom line is, you know, even though I, you know, I thank God for his grace, I haven't struggled with pornography. You know, they say that 50% of all pastors do. Think about that, pastors, that they go and they check out those websites. You know, and they say that 75% of all young men do. So imagine that, even here in the church. And there's no doubt in my mind that there's guys right here that are demonically chained to pornography. You know, and that's how the enemy comes in, and I've seen people literally tortured by it. It'll ruin you. So all I'm saying is that, you know, you get an app like this, you make yourself accountable, you discipline yourself. We're not animals. We can act like animals. The dog, he gets with the dog down the street. That's, that's the conduct of an animal. Christians don't do that. Christians have convictions that they hold and hold them. And they wait until they get married. And it's so cool when you see, uh, you know, sometimes you see couples and they don't even kiss. And so you know how you guys have been to a wedding where the pastor says, you may now kiss your bride? You know why they said that, right? Because it meant something, man. Now, I mean, if I was uh, even a Christian and I started making out with my girlfriend, kissing her, I mean, come on. I'm not going to stop. Because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fool, man. Flesh. I'm a guy. We have that drive. See? But you discipline yourself and you say, you know what? Tell you what. I want God to bless my life. I want God to bless our relationship. I want God to be glorified. I want to be used by God in this world. I want to make a difference for righteousness. So tell you what, let's not kiss until we get married. And people will think you're weird because the whole world is wicked. That's why. I mean, why do you want to go to first base if you don't want to score? Why? Well, just for fun? I don't think so. Those lips, you know who they're made for? Your spouse. See, all I'm saying is that we discipline our body because even though I don't struggle with pornography now, who knows what will happen tomorrow? And so we put these parameters so that we can fight and I can beat me and I can beat the enemy. I can beat him down. I believe ultimately the battle is for the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's really what Paul is talking about Ultimately, that's where it's at, because that message is the power of God into salvation. And one way of discrediting the message is discrediting the messengers. If I can make that pastor fall and make him, you know, just things like that, right? So he's telling Timothy, listen, you stay strong. You know, in reading the epistles, especially the pastoral epistles, you find that in many ways the focus of the fight is to fight the false teachers who infiltrate the church, 
who claim to be Christian, and yet in all reality they're just wolves in sheep's clothing. I understand how you. I understand you, man. You guys have been. You have seen pastors fall. You've seen guys asking for money. You have seen guys in it for the wrong reason. You've seen guys in it, and they're not really teaching the Bible. And I understand the frustration where a lot of times you're like, man. I don't know about this Christian thing because so many of these guys have done this and this and this. And see, you know, we understand that. And that's exactly what the enemy has done. He's discredited the Christians to where now as a Christian, a pastor, you wonder, does it have a negative stigma? Does he really care? And and I'm not saying that any of those guys are right, and I apologize for that. But, you know, Jesus... You know, the chief shepherd, he would never do any of that. He loves you. He made you. He died for you. And he wants to raise up men like him. And that's why we got to fight. we got to fight the enemy. we got to fight me. we got to fight all these false teachers who are just wolves in sheep's clothing. And, you know, even though I know fighting is is tough, I used to wrestle in high school. We wrestle for six minutes and you're just dead. I need to tell you this, though, that you're going you're gonna to fight all your life. You can never let your guard down. Never. You're going to be fighting all your life. And then one day when life is over, you know, if the Lord tarries, and none of us knows when that day will be, but you're there in your deathbed, you're about to die, you can say like Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. You want to be able to say that as we're running to God, as we're running to the battle. As we're running to lay hold of, look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So, you know, you visualize, like I said earlier, you're running and you want to take that guy down and tackle him down, so to speak. You know, you're running, you want to lay hold of. This time is eternal life. Now, that doesn't mean you run to get saved. Um, It's talking about in addition to that salvation. It's about working out your own salvation. It's even about making sure you have salvation. It's about embracing all that God has to offer both here on earth and there in heaven. One day when we go to heaven, if you're a Christian, there's a lot of rewards that God wants to give you. But you won't get all those rewards then unless you're faithful now. And so in one sense that he's talking about running so that you can lay hold of that then, but also now. And I really pray, and I know this sounds kind of melodramatic, but I always like to tell people, man, that you know that you have a destiny. Does that sound like melodramatic? Destiny. You were destined. Does that sound good? To me, it does. I'm like, I was made for something. I'm not just, you know, some, you know, silly accident through a series of fortuitous occurrences. And, you know, by the natural process of evolution, here I am, boom, you know, with no purpose. No, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and you were made, God made you. You know, like for a reason, this everything. I mean, what, what do we have? Those chairs that you're sitting on, 
Okay, now I know some of them are hard and some of them are soft. You've got the new ones, they're a little harder, but, you know, they're made for something, right? And they're fulfilling its function, you know? And you may, I don't think we can look around really at anything and think, well, what was that made? That was made for that. This was made for for whatever. You, too. (laughs) You were made for something special. And, And what you want to do is lay hold of that. It's not just a quantity of life. It's a quality of life. You don't have to continue on without purpose where there's a great emptiness inside. God wants to fill the void with his love. And we, we, we just, man, we work out that salvation. This is the reason God saved us. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 3, Paul talks about how he runs away from self-righteousness. He used to be a Pharisee. He, he leaves all that down. And he runs to get to know the Lord. Get to know the Lord. And that's where it's at. This is not a religion. It's not. It is a very, very, very personal relationship with the living God. And you get to know him. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, to know the Lord. And to know his power. And what an honor it is. To suffer for his sake. See, Paul here writing to Timothy says, you've got to fight, you've got to run, you've got to lay hold of eternal life. Notice there in verse 12, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Undoubtedly, this is probably when Timothy was baptized. I'm not ashamed. Maybe when he was ordained, confessing Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of his life. He said, remember that? Don't ever let go. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So if you confess the Lord now, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my Savior. I'm not ashamed. I'll wear the t-shirt. I'll have the bumper sticker. I'll live the life. Right? I'm not going to be an undercover Christian. Right? Bold. And God says, cool. Then one day it's going to be cool. You stand before my father, I say, he's mine. But if you're here and you're like, you know what? Jesus, ah, typical teacher, random rabbi, passing prophet. He ain't no thing. I don't need to give him my heart. I don't need to follow his marching orders. Yeah, I heard he died on the cross and rose again. Big deal. I got my own life to live. If that's you and you deny him, Then one day when you stand before the Father, He will deny you. That's why you got to confess Him, the one who died for you. I mean, it's not that God is narrow-minded, it's just that we sinned. We separated ourselves from Him. He's a holy, holy, holy God. He can't have sin in His presence. So what He did is He made a bridge. He said, Mijo, you don't have to, you don't have to die. I'll die for you. Just come. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. I mean, there's two things that can get Christians somewhere, right? Free food, right? This is free. Free. Why would you reject that? Confess him. See, that's what he's telling Timothy. This is what you, you, what you did. And so, Timothy, you run. 
for God. You run to God. You run to the battle. You run to lay hold of this eternal life. And, and then secondly, he talks about the return of God in verse 13. It says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm already starting Second Timothy. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate or sovereign ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. And so, like, in one sense, he's talking about the man of God. He's, you know, the minister of God. Now he just talks about God. Just God. I like that. He talks about running to God, and he talks about the return of God. And the only reason he really talks about the return of God is because, you know, and it's hard to do, you know, but it's like, you ever get, like, maybe, maybe it's your kids, or maybe it's your friend, and they're messing up, or, or maybe they're just something really important to them, and you almost want to grab them by the shoulders and just shake them. Say, make sure you do what's right, you know? It's kind of like Paul's trying to shake Timothy up a little bit. You know, I, I, this is something that you got to know, that the Lord is coming back. That everything you're doing, you're doing in his sight. And, uh, and, and that, what that does is, I want you to keep this word, man, in a spotless way, in a blameless way. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, I don't know, you know, when I stand before God one day, you know, I'll be able to tell the Lord, well, I read First Timothy. Hey, what do you think, Lord? And he's going to be like, okay, Lord, I taught First Timothy, Greek, Hebrew, everything. Check my cross-references. He might be a little happy with that, but really not, huh? What will make him happy if I lived First Timothy? And that's what Paul is trying to tell Timothy. I'm writing you this letter, but I'm only writing it for you to uh, alter your conduct. I'm, I'm, I'm writing it for you because you have a purpose as a pastor. And, and make sure you do these things because God is seeing you and I'm charging you in this solemn heavenly court before God. You know who's coming, by the way? He's coming. He's ready to come. And we see the signs now. In the world that we live in, all the things going on in Israel and Jerusalem, how they became a nation again in 1948, how they regained Jerusalem in 1967, how, you know, Persia and Iran, China, Syria, I mean, all the things that are stirring up in the Middle East, and you may say it's because of oil. Yeah, well, probably a lot of it has to do with oil, but the reason is because God knew this was all going to be the setup of making... You know, Jerusalem and Israel, the epicenter of what's going on in the last days. And he, what he's saying to everybody is just neon signs. I'm coming. If the Lord were to come right now, right now, would you be able to stand before him, you know, with, with, with a heart of just thank you, Lord, for your grace. I, I was abiding in you. If the Lord was to come right now, on the flip side, would you be ashamed? First John 2.28 says, Now abide in him, little children, that when he appears we may have confidence before him and not be ashamed at his coming. If the Lord were to come right now, 
And he's coming. He came. You know, they said he was going to come the first time he came. December 25th. That's why we celebrate Christmas, right? He came. Oh, he's not going to come. No, he already came. You're a doubter? He already came. They said 300 prophecies that he was going to come. He came. But there are more prophecies about him coming again. He's coming. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, he's coming. And we have to be ready. And that's what he's telling Timothy. I charge you, man. The Lord's coming. The Lord sees everything. You know, our kids, our, our friends, our husband, our wife, you know, they have their ways of hiding things. You can't hide anything before God. The Bible says all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so, you know, he's just saying the Lord is returning. You know, Jesus confessed this good confession. We know in Mark 15, 2, that Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said to him, it is as you say. You know, he is the king. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Here we know this is in reference to the Father, but it's also in reference to Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, in Revelation 17:14, Revelation 19:16. And when we see the Father, man, there he is dwelling in unapproachable light. No one's ever seen him in his fullness and glory. And you're like, hey, wait a minute. If I thought Jesus was God. We've all seen Jesus. Well, it's because Jesus was, they veiled his glory, right? His Shekinah glory. And so what we find, man, this is, Paul's this time, Timothy, it's really important that you don't just read this word, but that you heed this word. That you don't just learn this word, but that you live this word. Because he says what you got to do is you got to run to God. You got to know that God is returning. Secondly, we got to be rich for God. Thirdly, thirdly, rich for God. In verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And so, remember, I share with you in the beginning, the context here is riches. And so he kind of comes back to that. Now, previously he's telling people, don't try to be rich. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so now he's talking to those who are already rich. So don't try to be rich. You probably shouldn't be buying as many lottery tickets as you're buying, you know. Don't try to be rich because it'll mess you up. You're all, oh, I can handle it, Lord. Yeah, right. If he, if he thought you could handle it, man, you would have already had it. Just, you know, seek first the kingdom of God. But if you are rich, being rich is not a sin. Being rich is not a sin, but you just have to make sure that you don't get prideful hand rich. By the way, what is rich? Obama says if you make 200000 you're rich. Maybe it is. Maybe less. I don't know. Some people say if you make a million a year, you're rich. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. You guys kind of know what's going on, right? But, you know, if you are rich, don't get prideful. Hey, check out my car. You don't have to be like that, right? Don't, don't be haughty. And don't trust in uncertain riches because you know how it is, right? You could lose it in how long? Split second, right? The Bible says that riches make wings and they fly away. Proverbs 23, verse 5. You know, I think about it sometimes, and I know it sounds kind of weird, but you know, oh, I got a house or whatever. You know, I have you know, $15 in my savings account, whatever it is, right? And you're all excited. And then, you know, I mean, someone sues you. You know, they're, they're walking on your lawn and they 
They trip over your light. I mean, just weird things. You know, one of your kids gets in a car accident or you, I don't know. All I'm saying is that it can be gone like that. So you don't trust in those things. But he says right there, you can enjoy. So don't, don't if you're rich, the Lord knows your heart. You know, we, it's kind of funny. You know, maybe um, I'll share with you. We went to the pastor's conference recently, and we there were a couple of pastors there from Hawaii, um, Maui. And I just thought, wow, I want to be friends with these guys. You know, I thought it would be really cool. They were cool guys, but I was thinking, man, the hookup right here to Maui, you know, because I've never gone. But, you know, let's just say you're rich and you got a little bit of money and, you know, you're a good steward and you're doing all the things God wants to do, and then you go to go, get to go to Hawaii. You know what? That's okay. So we don't get weird here. You can enjoy those things, right? But he just says right there, but make sure you do good works, that you're rich in good works. You're ready to give. You're willing to share. You know, but you don't give your money to people that are lazy. Don't give handouts to lazy people. You know, don't enable them to live, and the drug addict, whoever it is, to continue to live in their sin. You use wisdom. But you find legitimate needs. You're ready to give. You're willing to share. In doing so, he says right there, you're storing up for yourself a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You know, and you know, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And as you're giving to the Lord and the work of the Lord, as you're giving to the benevolent, genuine needs where God has led you, do you realize that not a penny of that can be lost? You know, but if you're spending on yourself, you know, all that, it just, you know, it, it dies. Jesus basically said it this way, Matthew six nineteen through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here it is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I'm giving my, my you know, time and town and treasure and temple, and if I'm giving it to God, then there's my heart. But if it's all invested here, then the Lord says, well, that's where it's at. And so you want to give in a way that you would be rich for God. We've got to be running for God. We've got to be aware of the return of God. We've got to be rich for God. And the last thing is the responsibility to God. Because it says in verse 20, Oh, Timothy, Guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. And he closes with the pastoral responsibility that Timothy has. It's like Paul gave him this treasure and it's entrusted now to him. Just like, you know, my pastors, I had pastors in my life and they gave something to me and now I give something to other guys entrusted and then, you know, if the Lord tarries, they're going to give to other guys, it says in Second Timothy chapter 2, and the things you heard from me commit to faithful men who will be enabled to, to teach others also. And so, you know, Timothy now has this, this gospel. He has this calling. He has this church. And he says, guard it as a shepherd would. Guard that. Because there's guys over here that are trying to infiltrate the church. There's guys on television. There's guys that are on the radio. There's guys writing books that they are trying to not just tweak the church. They're trying to, you know, bring it to a place where people are literally led astray. 
That's what he says right here. They start talking all this nonsense. No, just give me Jesus. Give me who he really is. Give me the pure gospel. Give me the word of God. Give me the word of God. You know, when you go to a church, make sure they're teaching you the word of God and not the word of man. The word of God. He says, guard that, Timothy. It's committed to you. It's your responsibility. You know, because the bottom line is in the end, you know, it's not about a building. It's not about a budget. It's not about, you know, I'm on staff now or whatever the case may be. You've got a position. No, it's about the people, the beautiful people, the most precious commodity on planet Earth. It's about you and you and you. When you die, you go to heaven. Because so many people, they don't stay with the Lord. They drift away. They stray away. They fall away. They used to come to church. They used to serve the Lord. But they're not there anymore. And that's why we do what we do. You know, I do it. We've got to do it because we love God. And we've got to do this because we love you. We love you. This is Timothy. I know people might think you're out of date because all you do is teach the Bible. You know, and they might want you to do skits and plays and get a little funnier or whatever the case may be. No, you just keep teaching the Bible. Guard it. Make decisions based on the Bible. Deal with the wolves. Because a lot of people have fallen away, Timothy. And so we we come back. How, how can we do this? Just the grace of God in our life. The grace of God. You know, it's not that, you know, any man ever comes to a place where he's worthy or able. It's just that God has allowed us to experience this amazing grace. Isn't it funny, you guys, how God chooses knuckleheads? How God chooses, um, the Bible says the weak things of the world, the base things of the world, the things which are not. Um, this, it says that he chooses the off-scouring of the world. You guys know what off-scouring is? You know, when you scrub your toilet, right? And that little ring around the toilet right there? That's who we are. Praise God. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's okay. You know, and he says the things which are not. Now, you get all philosophical, the Greeks, the things which are not. That's the, the ones that don't exist. The existentialist would understand that. He doesn't even exist. God chose him. How? It's weird. So that God would be glorified. And I really want to make that clear. You can never, I pray, never exalt a man. You know, never. Oh, he's such a great singer. Or he's such a great teacher. Or he's such a great whatever it is. Please, I beg of you, don't do that. You know, whatever it is, whatever the good Christian experience is that you have, I beg of you, when you leave those places, you just say how glorious God is. Because you know who that man is? You know who he is, right? He's a wretched man who's been captured by the grace of God. And he does not want to be exalted. The Bible says that we are to exalt only the Lord. The best of men are men at best. There's an infinite difference between the best of man and God, and so I just really pray that God would be lifted up in your life and really glorified 
because he chose us. And that's the only way we're making it through, man. One day we'll be home. It's going to be cool. We'll have a carne asada um, reunion there. Let me just close with this. And we're going to have communion today. Um, I don't know if you guys like baseball or not. I like playing it. I don't know about watching it too much. But um, recently there was a player um, that, that had a great future. Uh, it was a, an individual by the name of Corey Han. And, uh, you know, drafted, went to college, and, and he had just such a great, great, great future. Then one day, he's just, he's just booking around first base. He's heading towards second base. And what he does is he, he, uh, he dives head first. And, you know, this doesn't happen too often in baseball, but when he's diving, he collided with the second baseman, and he became paralyzed from the waist down. And you just say, man, your heart just breaks. You're thinking, man, so much potential, so gifted, such a wonderful future. There was no doubt in anyone's mind that this guy's going to make it to the big leagues. Now he's paralyzed from the waist down. But you know what? You want to know what happened? It's amazing, man. The Arizona Diamondbacks drafted him. They drafted him. It was the 34th round, and they chose him. And I, when I read the story, and they were talking about being kind and the real reason that they did it, because obviously, you know, he's not going to be able to play baseball, but, you know, it was just an expression of amazing love on their behalf. Somewhere in their organization, somebody was really caring. And when I read the story, I couldn't help but to think about the way God has chosen us. What's this paralyzed guy going to do? Oh, we'll find a purpose for him. You know, and I guess he's going to have a job there in the office. And I tell you what, you know, he might not be able to make a, a difference there on, on, you know, the field, but he's going to make a difference. And, and that's the way it is with us, you guys. Nothing to offer. But God has chosen you. God loves you. Even though, you know, and, and sometimes you have to tell this to people, you know, we're messed up. Because sometimes people say, well, I'm so messed up, I'm sure God doesn't want me. Oh, yes, he does. He wants you so much. He gave his son to die on a cross. That's how much he wants you. Yes, you. I pray you would know that. And I pray you would want him back. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word together. And Lord, as we partake of communion now, I pray, Lord, that you bless every heart here. Lord, help us to, to run to you. Help us to remember your returning. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to understand that we can be rich to you, for you. And I pray that we would know we have a responsibility, Lord, to guard this gospel. Bless your beautiful people here, Lord, as we partake of communion. Let there be an exchange. Lord, I give you my sins. I, I give you my failures. I give you my heart. Lord, help us to receive 
Lord, you, as the Lord and Savior of our life, as the goodness of our life. Bless this time, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.